Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Reading today from Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 20. Be on your guard against false prophets who are come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you will recognize them by their fruit. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. My mic on. Check, check, check. Hello. How are we doing today? Good deal. Good deal. Hey, if I have not had a chance to meet you, my name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here at Shelbyville Community Church. I'm grateful that you are spending your Sunday morning here with us, whether you're here in person or you're joining us online. Uh, and before we jump into the Sermon on the Mount this morning, uh, I just want to recognize what tomorrow is. I think for a lot of us, Memorial Day is the unofficial start of summer. Uh, for a lot of us, it's a day off. Uh, if you are a Hoosier or a race fan, right, it's just tied to the 500. But the reality is tomorrow, uh, there are a lot of folks who are uh, struggling with what tomorrow is. There are a lot of folks who mourn uh, the loss of loved ones or friends. And uh, I know that there are people in this room that have lost loved ones. I know that there are people in this room that have lost platoon mates. And uh, so I just want to take a moment to recognize what tomorrow is and uh, not just gloss over the fact that it's, it's a significant day. And so I'm going to pray uh, for folks that uh, are wrestling with stuff that are just um, sad, that are mourning, and uh, I would love it if you would pray alongside of me. Father, thank you um, that we have a day called Memorial Day where we get to reflect, where we get to uh, just give gratitude towards individuals that gave up their life uh, on our behalf. I know that there are uh, a lot of families and friends uh, who have lost loved ones in service to our nation. And so I'm asking that you would give them comfort. I'm asking that you would give them peace as they mourn uh, those individuals that made that sacrifice. And I, just, I pray that we wouldn't take it, uh, let's just gloss over it, uh, but that we would take to heart uh, what it means for other people laying their life down for us. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. <clears throat> so this morning, we're going to continue walking through the Sermon on the Mount. We actually uh, are in the second to the last week of this series. And so uh, we're going to be walking through part of chapter 7 today. We're going to be finishing up the Sermon on the Mount next weekend with Pastor Daniel. And then starting this summer and going into the fall, we're actually going to be in the book of James together. And for me, I look at the book of James and it's almost the Sermon on the Mount part two because it takes a lot of the teachings of Jesus and just makes it incredibly practical. And so James, the half-brother of Jesus, was writing to uh, Jewish believers, to Jewish Christians who uh, were under immense pressure. They were facing tremendous persecution and there was a, a very real tendency to take everything that they believed and knew and just make it head knowledge and hide and so James is saying, nah, -uh. 
like you are under immense pressure and that should drive you further into your relationship with Jesus. And so uh, for us today, right, uh, a couple years ago, we had a campaign we called All In, and we said we want you to be all in on your relationships with Jesus. And so this is a continual reminder that that never ends, right? A campaign ends after two years, but being all in on your relationship with Jesus is something that we need to be devoted to consistently. And so this summer, we're going to be looking at James and what he has for us, all right? So that's where we are headed. Now let's talk a little bit about where we have been. All right, we have been in the Sermon on the Mount since January, and for the last five months, we've learned some things, right? Jesus uh, arrives in the book of Matthew. We see he shows up, and he makes a proclamation that the kingdom of heaven is here. And then Jesus begins calling some of his disciples, and he starts this ministry tour throughout Galilee. And so Jesus is going around Galilee. He's healing. He's teaching. He's uh, explaining what the kingdom is. And while he's doing this, he's got quite a big crowd that's following him. And so Jesus makes his way up to the side of a mountain where he sits and he begins to preach. And what Jesus says in this sermon is, behold, the kingdom of heaven is near. And he starts out by sharing who the kingdom is for. It starts with this section we call the Beatitudes. And it's blessed are those who, blessed are those who, and it goes down this list, right? This is who the kingdom is for. And ultimately it gets to the point where it says the kingdom is for people who respond with their hearts. And then he goes on to talk about this is what the kingdom of God is going to be like. And then he says these are some practices in the kingdom. And so as we start to round out this sermon, as we start to get towards the end, what we're going to see is Jesus doesn't uh, end with a uh, a wrap-up statement. He challenges us with a decision. At the end of this sermon, Jesus gets to the point where he says, there's some options, and you're going to have to make a choice. And so Jesus, like he does similarly, offers two different paths, two different ways, and he uses metaphors a lot in his teaching. And so what we're about to see is that there are two paths, that there are two trees, that there are two disciples, and that there are two foundations. And with each of these, he's going to present alternative paths and choices. So Jesus has gone from making a lot of commands, right? This is how you are going to behave in the kingdom, right? You, uh, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, you cannot serve two masters. Do not judge. Do not worry. He's giving a lot of commands. And he closes out this sermon, not with more commands or a summary, but with an appeal to follow him in the harder but better path. And so this morning, we are going to pick up in Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 13. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. If you've got a Bible, if you want to open that up, if you've got a phone or uh, you want to jump on insidescc.org and hit take notes, we've got all the scriptures in there. Verse 13 says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Now I'm going to take a slight left turn here. And what I want you to do is I want you to transport through time back to 1997. 
And you're going to transport to 1997 in Kenosha, Wisconsin, that's where I grew up, to the front steps of Lincoln Junior High School. I was pretty cool when I was in junior high. And, and there's always been trends, right? Every generation has had their trends. But when I was in junior high, the cool thing were Jenko jeans. You weren't cool unless you had some Jenkos. Now, as a 38-year-old man, I look at those and I say, those are ridiculous. But buying like stretchy jeans is just as ridiculous as buying those. Now, when I was in junior high school, you were cool if you had really baggy pants. And the way that you knew if your pants were really baggy was if your shoe could fit inside your pant leg. And you knew your pants were really, really wide if you could fit a rollerblade inside your pant leg. Now, who goes rollerblading with those on? I don't know. But that was the scale that we used to judge if you were cool. We also judged if your pants were cool based on if you could fit a whole grocery store's worth of groceries in your back pockets, right? They were massive. Look at that, right? You had the small one for your wallet and you had the big one that had all sorts of graphics on it. Now, you can buy these today. I pulled them off their website, $225. Crazy, right? When I was in junior high, there was a pair of Jenkos, they looked similar to that, called the Woolly Mammoths you know your jeans are serious when they're called woolly mammoths. And so uh, I did what every strong, mature, emotionally capable, masculine, middle school, junior high age boy could do. I, I begged my mom to buy me some. So I remember going home from school and I was like, man, I am not going to be cool unless I have a pair of Jenkos. And so uh, I just started hitting her, man, nonstop, right? And now that I have a kid, I understand how relentless we can be. And it was mom, 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 right? And finally, I'm like, she's not getting it. So I dropped to my knees and I said, but mom, everybody else is wearing them. And I knew I had her. And then she turned around from the sink where she was washing dishes and she said, Craig, if everybody else jumped off a bridge, would you do that too? The wise words of Linda. You see, most of us want to fit in. We want to be popular. We want to be what's trending. Peer pressure is a very, very real thing. It's a very real thing. There are so many studies where individuals are trying to fit in with the other folks around them, even when they don't know them. There was a study done in an elevator where somebody would push the button, the doors would open, and there were already people in the elevator, but everyone in the elevator was facing the back of the elevator. And so you'd walk into an elevator and everybody's facing that way. Do you want to be the weirdo who's facing the opposite direction? No. So they walked into the elevator and they just stood facing the back wall too. And this went on and on and on. There was another study that took place at a hospital. There was a group of folks in the know, they knew what they were doing, and they set it up so every time uh, a bell or a, uh, a dinger went off in the waiting room of this hospital, they were all going to stand up. So every time one of these noises went off, they would stand up, and as people came into the waiting room waiting to be called in to go see their doctor, 
They started watching what was happening and eventually they too started standing up every time they heard this siren. Now eventually the last of the people that started doing this got called in to go see the doctor. People keep walking in. For five hours, people continued to stand whenever they heard that noise when the people that started this weren't even in the room anymore. Nobody knew why they were standing up for the bell, but they kept standing up for the bell because peer pressure is very real. Now, I don't know about you, but I have not purchased things on Amazon because they have had no reviews. I've also purchased things that have like 120,000 five-star reviews because clearly those are not paid for and they're real. But most of us want to do what is popular. We like what is trending. We want to be like everybody else. And Jesus' dismissal of popularity may not only confuse us, but it may honestly offend us. And so Jesus starts this sermon with blessings, right? Blessed are those who, blessed are those who, blessed are those who, and now he's ending it with warnings. And again, we must look at this sermon in context, right? Jesus is speaking to a large group of people on a side of a mountain in Galilee. He's teaching to predominantly Jewish people. Jesus is teaching to a group of folks who think they are good with God simply because they are Jewish. Today, Jesus would be speaking to a lot of Christians who go to church every week. Maybe they serve, maybe they give, and they think that that is what makes them good with God. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. You know, if Jesus' words were taken and put into pop culture, it would sound like this. There is a highway to hell and there is a stairway to heaven. Honestly, a passage like this brings up a lot of questions, right? We think of Jesus and we think of grace. He's going to forgive me for everything, all the time. Jesus is the best, right? And we've turned him into a pushover. And so when we read something like this, we're like, hold up, is Jesus a fundamentalist? Because he's like, man, you, you have to do X, Y, and Z in order to be saved, right? Are we saying that Jesus is this angry street preacher who's holding a sign and yelling into a bullhorn? Is God playing hard to get? Like what's, what's going on here? So let's talk about this word road for a bit. Road. It's this Greek word hados. It can be translated as a way, a road, a path. It is a physical place that you travel on. Hados is mentioned 845 times in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And it refers to the literal way under your feet. But it can also be used as a word picture that means a way of life, a pattern, a behavior, an ethical system. And Jesus isn't the first person to talk about this idea of roads or hadas. We actually see this in Genesis. 
God creates people, puts them in the garden, and there is haras there. He says, you can eat fruit from any of these trees and live, or you can eat fruit from these trees and you will surely die. There are two ways to live. And so as we continue looking throughout scripture, we see these pairs of two. What Jesus is saying here is that there is a wide gate and a narrow gate. There's a broad road and a narrow road. There is destruction, there is life, there is easy, and there is difficult. Now a gate, a lot of us don't have gates on our properties, but gates would lead to a path. And a wide gate would lead to a wide path or a wide road. And on a wide road, anything goes. Right? You don't have to leave anything behind. You don't have to change a thing. It is life interrupted. A wide road's like the lazy river, right? It does not take a ton of commitment to plop on a tube and let this thing push you around aimlessly wherever it wants. But easy things are rarely good and good things are rarely easy. He says a narrow gate leads to a difficult road where not everything goes, where some things get left behind. You have to change on a narrow road This word difficult, this word hard, it actually means to be hard-pressed or afflicted. And this is the same word that Paul uses in his letters to the church in Corinth when he says, I feel like I'm being pressed in on all sides. It's suffocating. This path will sometimes feel like it is going to crush you. Sometimes it'll make you feel like you're going to get stuck. Now this past weekend, my wife and I went down to Mammoth Cave National Park. And uh, nothing says happy 14th wedding anniversary like hiking miles 347 feet under the earth's surface. And so when I booked the tickets for the tour that we went on, there was a long list of things that you could not bring into the cave. It was like you can't bring one of those child carrier backpacks, you can't bring firearms, you can't bring a stroller, you can't bring tripod, you can't, and there was a long list of things you couldn't bring. And so I did what most normal people did. I said, well, is the exact item I want to bring on this list? No, camera bags are not listed. I'm bringing my camera bag. So down 300 and some odd feet under the earth's surface, we are walking through these massive caverns, huge caves, and you could fit hundreds, if not thousands of people in these caves, wide open, it's awesome. And so we would walk for a little bit and then we would stop and our our ranger would give some history as to what took place in the cave and then we'd walk a little bit more and eventually he came to a point where he said, all right, just letting you know, uh, it's about to get a little tight. And so uh, he's like, we're going to go down this stairwell and we're going to go here, here, and then we're going to hit a place called Fat Man's Misery. That's a fun name. Underground. And we got there. 
And fat man's misery is shaped like a keyhole. And so it is very tight at the bottom and then it comes up and opens up. And so uh, to go through fat man's misery, you have to go sideways. And at least for me, uh, I realized that my size 13 boot was the exact same size as this opening. So you're kind of got this weird like ballerina thing going on and you're trying to shimmy your way through. The rocks are coming up to like halfway up my stomach and then it balloons out. I'm like, all right, cool. I got some headroom. Now, what I didn't tell you was that on this tour, there was also 80 other people. And so we went from walking in groups in these big caverns to now we're a single file line, 80 people deep, shimmying our way through fat man's misery. And I had a backpack. Because I'm smart. (laughs) Things were good, right? We're going, we're going, we're going, we're shimmying, we're shimmying. And then we get to a spot where the floor of the cave raises two feet and you just lost two feet of headroom. We're not so good anymore. (laughs) And so I am doing everything in my power while still shimmying to keep this line going to like squirm and contort my very slender figure like out so I get my arm out of this backpack and eventually I got free. There was no human cork situation, was not on the news. But for the rest of this passageway, I am holding my backpack out straight. My head is like this and I'm walking like this through a cave. It was terrible. How often do we treat our walk with Jesus just like that? We say, Jesus, where is the line? And we come straight up to it. Well, nowhere did you say I couldn't bring a camera backpack. You just said I couldn't bring a child carrier backpack. Well, where's the line? Well, you didn't say explicitly I I couldn't watch this or do this or participate in this. Jesus is saying the narrow road is going to feel like it will crush you. It's going to close in on all sides. The narrow gate looks like death. It really does. The narrow gate calls us to pick up our cross. Right, the cross, it was a symbol of death. It was a symbol of humiliation. And Jesus says, that's what I'm asking you to pick up. But then comes resurrection and new life. You know, I often think of the kingdom of heaven as being upside down, when in reality it's right side up and our kingdom here on earth is upside down. But what looks like it's going to crush you will actually lead you to life and what looks easy is actually the one that is going to crush you. You know how crushing the wide road is? Constantly trying to gain others' acceptance, constantly trying to fit in, constantly trying to hear that you are okay from the masses around you, constantly trying to stay current, constantly playing the comparison game, constantly trying to prove that you are enough. If only we took serious how loved we are by our maker, by our father. If only we cared for his opinion and no one else's. 
How life-giving is the narrow road? It's gonna be difficult, but there's life. The wide road's gonna be easy, but it leads to destruction. Let's pick up in verse 15. Jesus goes on. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. I said sheep. It's one of the most common animals in the Mediterranean. This is why sheep are frequently used in Jesus' teaching. Right? You have sheep, you have shepherds, and now you have wolves. Sheep were the most common animal, and wolves were their largest predator. Right? Farming also extremely prevalent, right? To cultivate, to plant, to harvest. This wasn't just for farmers, but this was cultural. You know, Shelby County is still tied to, wow, can't say agriculture, agriculture enough to know like, all right, it's planting season, it's harvest season. Like we still have ties to this, but when we go to the grocery store, we can buy whatever we want. Things get shipped in. We have no idea what it is to not have certain items or certain food based on the season. I remember being a kid, I ate strawberries only when we went and picked strawberries. You didn't get them the rest of the year. And that's the way it is for the folks that Jesus is talking to. So he's using these cultural elements to share spiritual truths. He says, watch out, be aware of false prophets. Because wolves can be deceptive and false teachers can be just like them. Now the good news is that we can recognize them by their fruit. That's what Jesus says to us. Verse 16, by their fruit you will recognize them. It's the good news. We can recognize them by their fruit. The bad news, most of us don't know what good fruit is. The first time that I went to northeast Brazil country, not Brazil, Indiana, big difference. I got down there, and one of the things that Kate and Rachel love to do when uh, teams go down is they'll take you to the market where you get to try all these different fruits that we don't have here in the States. And so they're handing you guarana, and they're handing you acerola, and they're handing you uh, pitumba, and you're gnawing on like sugar cane. Like they're giving you all this stuff that you just don't have access to. And even things that you look at and you're like, that looks similar to what we have in the States. It's just different. And so one morning I'm sitting at the Posada, I'm sitting at the hotel that we stay at, and I'm eating breakfast, and I'm a big fan of pineapple, and thankfully they had some that day. So I'm eating it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like the best pineapple of my life. And Pastor Telly, one of the pastors down there, he heads up the ministry in Brazil, he's sitting at the same table with me, he looks at it, and with a straight face, he's like, that pineapple's garbage. It's out of season, it's not any good. I had no idea how to judge good fruit compared to Telly. Jesus is saying you will know false teachers based on their fruit. You see, fruit's a metaphor for what naturally comes out. If you fill a glass with water all the way to the very top, so my daughter does every day. Fill a glass all the way to the top. As soon as you start walking, it starts sloshing around. 
right? Maybe you bump into the table, water goes everywhere. What has poured out is the fruit. It's what naturally comes out. Fruit is not when somebody performs, but it is who they are. Fruit is what comes by nature. It is in the identity of the tree. There's a few ways that we can identify fruit. The first is the life test, right? We so often think that if somebody has a stage, if they have a microphone, if they have lights, if they have reach, that they are in good standing. But we've seen over and over again, this just isn't true. We will recognize them by their fruit. Here's the deal. Charisma does not equal character. Influence doesn't equal integrity. Giftedness doesn't equal godliness. Skill does not equal sanctity. Platform doesn't equal purity. Fame does not equal faithfulness. Saying the right things does not mean you are living the right life. Everyday habits indicate the kind of tree that we are. Everyday habits indicate the kind of tree that we are. Now, I'm aware that it is the end of May. We are getting ready to go into summer, but I want you to picture a Christmas tree. Christmas trees are awesome, right? They're decked out. They got ribbon, they got ornaments, they're glistening, glistening with lights, right? They've, they've got a star or an angel or, or something decorating the top. Like you look at a Christmas tree and you're like, man, that's a cool tree. But in reality, what is a Christmas tree? Well, it's either plastic or it's a tree that's been cut down and it's sitting in a pot of water that has to be refilled. Christmas trees don't have roots. They have stands, but they're decked out. Christmas tree's not gonna provide fruit, but it looks really good. You're not growing fruit if you don't have roots. A Christmas tree is a dying tree, but a Christmas tree catches the eye. Now what happens before you turn that tree into a Christmas tree? Well, you put it back out in the woods. It hasn't been fluffed. It doesn't have glistening lights. It doesn't have ribbon. It doesn't have ornaments. It looks incredibly plain, but it has roots into the ground. It is rooted. It is getting nutrients. It is absorbing. It is growing. It's producing cones. If it's a coniferous tree, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are fruit of the Spirit. Are you seeing these in the life of your teachers? That's what Jesus is saying. Beware of false teachers. Beware of false prophets. You will know them by their fruit. Are you able to identify these things in the teachers that you sit under? Are you seeing this fruit in your own life? Are you seeing love? Are you seeing joy? Are you at peace? Are you seeing patience, kindness, goodness, self-control? Jesus says a tree can grow good fruit and a tree can grow bad fruit, but a tree can also grow no fruit. And he says a good tree that doesn't grow fruit or grows bad fruit gets cut down. Trees that grow good fruit, they get pruned. Doesn't feel good. They're on the narrow path, right? Some things have to be left behind. It feels like they're being 
crushed from all sides. They get pruned, but it's necessary for the health of the tree. It's necessary for them to grow fruit. The second is the teaching test, right? When we sit under the teaching of somebody, we have to ask the question, is this biblically sound or does this sound biblical? Because there's a massive difference. Is this biblically sound or does this sound biblical? In a 2017 Barna survey, 52% of Christians strongly believed that God helps those who help themselves was in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves, right? You, you turn that into your life verse, man, it's gonna be rough for the people you run into. The issue is that this was written in the 1600s by an, a man writing about government. It's not in the Bible. Give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day. Teach a man to fish and he'll eat for a lifetime. It's a Chinese proverb. That's not in the Bible, but it sounds good. That sounds biblical. We must know good fruit to identify bad fruit. Church, if your only exposure to the Bible is on Sunday mornings and no other time during the week, you are incredibly malnourished. If you did not physically eat food except for one meal every seven days, your body would be in massive trouble. The way that we identify bad fruit is by knowing good fruit. Is this biblically sound or does this sound biblical? And we need to be so immersed in scripture that we can point to biblical teaching versus teaching that sounds biblical. Another question you can ask is, is this person's teaching moving my heart to obey Jesus' teaching? Is this person's teaching moving my heart to obey Jesus' teaching? Right? Does this message point me to what Jesus teaches or does it push me away from what Jesus teaches? You know, false teachers have existed for a very, very long time. Right? Jesus is talking about them. 2,000 years ago, false teachers existed. But I'm going to tell you this. Today we have to be on guard like never before because the internet is a beautiful resource and a terrifying landmine. It is. Beautiful resource and a terrifying landmine. Most of us are familiar with social media, right? We can jump on YouTube, we can jump on, on TikTok, we can jump on Twitter, we can jump on Instagram, we can jump on True Social, we can jump on whatever, and we are able to subscribe, we are able to like, we are able to follow, and what happens is we tend to like, subscribe, and follow individuals that tickle our ears. And then an algorithm pumps more and more and more of that content our way because they want to make money off of us. Do you know good fruit from bad fruit? Are you sitting under the teaching of people who are using the Bible to push a political agenda? Are you following the teaching of somebody who's using the Bible to push a social action? Are you sitting under the teaching of people who are using the Bible to tell you whether you should or should not wear a mask? If you are sitting under the teaching of someone who does not push you to obey the teaching of Jesus, you are sitting under false teaching. The internet is an amazing resource. And at the same time, it's a landmine. Jesus was offensive. I mean, he offended people all the time. 
you read his interactions with Pharisees, with religious leaders, he was incredibly offensive to them. If the teaching that you are sitting under is not offending you periodically, you gotta look at what's going on. Are you uncomfortable right now? I am. And I'm the one up here talking. There should be moments where your faith feels awkward, where your faith feels like it is crushing in from all sides. There should be times that you feel offended. It's the narrow road. If you want the easy road, you can jump on it, but it leads to destruction. Again, the internet is a beautiful place, but if you're sitting under the teaching of somebody and you're only sitting under the teaching of somebody online, you cannot see their fruit. You can't. Because all you see is what they curate and what they put online for you to see. This is why the local church is so incredibly important. Get plugged into a local church, sit under the teaching of local pastors, and you are able to see the fruit that is coming from them. You're able to see the fruit that comes from their life. Now, the final test is the relational test, right? We had the life test, we had teaching test, we got the relational test. It's found in verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. What's interesting is that Jesus reserves his harshest criticism for the religious, not the sinner. Tremendous grace for the sinner, tremendous compassion for the sinner, tremendous energy and effort going to and pursuing the sinner. Jesus has a lot to say when it comes to the religious. Right? Jesus isn't teaching necessarily about salvation here for us, but about false prophets who claim to speak on behalf of Jesus but aren't in relationship with him. Right? There are folks working in ministry. Right? There are folks who prophesy. There are folks who are driving out demons, who are performing miracles. And Jesus says, I don't know you. In Semitic languages, the languages that the Bible was originally written, saying something twice signified intimacy. So when you say, Lord, Lord, it was, it was stating, like, you are my Lord, you are master, but there is an intimacy in that statement. This isn't just a, a doctrinal statement, it's emotional. And there's people who are saying, Lord, Lord, we made you look awesome. Lord, Lord, we made you famous. And he says, I don't know you. They had falsely assumed that being used by God meant that they belonged to God. But being used by God doesn't mean that you know God. Pharaoh was used by God in the Exodus story. Babylon was used by God. Assyria was used by God. Judas was used by God. 
But being used by God does not mean that you know God. All along, Jesus has been saying, you know what matters? It's your heart. It's your heart that matters. Everything will flow out of your heart. And he says, what I, what I hold, what I hold in high regard, it's, it's quiet obedience. It's controlling your tongue. It's keeping your anger under wraps. It's secret giving. It's loving your enemy. It's praying for those who persecute you. But we prophesied. But we did miracles. Jesus says, I, I never knew you. Now this word knew, it doesn't just mean knowledge, right? I never knew you. It wasn't just a, a mental thing. It's this word, uh, gnosko. We see it in Genesis chapter four. Adam and Eve put in the garden. It says that Adam knew Eve. She ended up giving birth to sons. There's an intimacy. There's a relational aspect to the idea of new, of knowing. This isn't just a, a mental, I know who you are. There is a deep emotional attachment. It's, it's intimate. It is relational. Now what's so tricky is that this third test, it's hard for us to tell what's going on, right? You've got false teachers saying you can see by their fruit but I can't tell if you are genuine in your relationship with Jesus or not. And what's interesting is when they get called out, when they, they call and they say, Lord, Lord, look at everything that we have done. When they get called out, they don't repent. Instead, they list what they've done for God. They get defensive. And I know that I've done this, right? When I'm convicted over something, when somebody comes to me with a concern, there have been times where I have very easily said, yeah, well, I've done dun, 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 dun. It's an easy defense. Instead of just responding out of humility, saying, you're right, you got me. I should have been better, should have done better. I need to repent. Will you hold me accountable to that? Jesus' strong language in this is meant to wake us up. It should wake us up from complacency, from pretending, from just going through the motions. Because the way of Jesus is not only about our behavior, but it's about our heart. He cares, us, cares about us far too much to let us continue without constantly bringing it back to the heart. Check your heart. Where's your heart? Check your heart. Don't get me wrong, action is required, right? Jesus literally says, those who love me will do the will of the Father, right? There is action, but it's not just about our actions. It's about our hearts, who we really are, what fruit is being born, right? For the teachers, where, where is the fruit when the microphone's off? Where's the fruit when, when you're with your spouse? Where's the fruit when you're with your kids? Where's the, spa, where's the fruit when you're, when you're all alone? I mean, think of the narrowness. We're talking narrow path. Think of the narrowness that Jesus walked for us. It feels like it's crushing, but it's coming in from all sides. He's literally sweating blood. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. 
But Jesus was crushed so that we could be free. Jesus was crushed to know the spaciousness of resurrection with you and me in it. Church, the genuine path of apprenticeship to Jesus is only made possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit only is possible because Jesus died and rose again. He lived the lessons that he taught. He turned the other cheek. He loved his enemies. To enter the narrow gate is our only hope. That means leaving everything else behind. So I have to ask, where are you when it comes to Jesus? Are you on a wide path? It says, I'm gonna do what I want, but I'll call on Jesus to be my savior. Or are you on the narrow path that says, you know what? He's not just my savior, but he's my Lord. And sometimes that means pruning. Sometimes that means it feels like you're gonna get stuck. It feels claustrophobic. It feels like there are things being worked on in you. Have you surrendered to him? Have you been playing the game? Where's the line? Let me go find it. Are you dressing up like a Christmas tree that has no roots, but you show up on a Sunday decked out with all the ornaments, with all the lights? Look at me. And then you leave. You come back next Sunday waiting for somebody to pour some water in your stand. Jesus says you're gonna have to choose. You're gonna have to make a decision. The Sermon on the Mount is very clear that you can be devoted to God's mission and not be devoted to God himself. May we never fall in love with God's mission and not fall in love with God himself. May we never do for God without doing it with God. question isn't what did you do for me but did you know me may we be rooted in the soil of God's grace may we be willing to be pruned may we be willing to be crushed so that we may have life may we be a people who enter the narrow gate let's pray Jesus thank you again for this incredible message Thank you for Matthew for recording it. Thank you that we have it. Thank you that 2,000 years later we still get to sit under your teaching. And it's just as relevant today as it was to the folks sitting on the side of that mountain. So I pray for myself. As a teacher, what do I need to change? What do I need to do? What do I need to repent of? As a follower of you, have I fallen more in love with doing things for you than I have falling in love with you. For the folks joining us, it's the same thing. I pray that they would wrestle with who you are, with their relationship with you. Are they going through the motions? Are they just doing what's easy? Are they on a wide road or are they on a narrow road? I pray that you would speak to each of us, that you'd convict 
that you would challenge. And that because of your words that we would be a different people in a different congregation. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you've never made a decision to trust Christ, there's multiple things that we can do. I'd love to talk to you after this service. Come up. I would love to talk to you. I'd love to pray with you. If that's a little weird, kind of awkward, we've got connection cards at our, our next steps desk out in the lobby. We've got some in the back of this room. You can fill out on there, hey, I want to talk to somebody about Jesus. Drop it in one of these offering boxes. You can go to insidescc.org. Click the next steps button. There's a lot of different things that you can do in there. But one of our pastors would love to connect with you. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to listen. We'd love to pray with you. Like you are not here to do this by yourself. That's why we gather together as a body of believers so that we can help each other. All right? It has been an absolute privilege to be with you this morning. I pray that you guys have an amazing weekend, that tomorrow you don't just blow by the significance of what tomorrow represents, and that you would have an amazing week. Amen.